The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Good day, sir. And what a beautiful day it is. Not anymore. I'm hoping for your support with an initiative I'm developing. Will it lead to me seeing less of you? Oh, I'm afraid it might. I'm listening. What I want to do is form a government to represent the people so that we can make unified decisions in the best interest of the country, i.e. you. I want to be a public servant. Oh, great. You can start by cleaning up that pile of bullshit over there. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, May 19, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be If there's one thing that has really irked me about Ontario's current provincial election, it's that all the major parties are campaigning as if it's politics as usual, and that their actions over the past few years with regard to how they reacted to the so-called pandemic should be the overriding and almost single issue of this campaign, but not so. Except for one issue, it's as if the past two or three years did not exist, and that issue is called managing the pandemic, and which is how two or three reporters I've talked to since the writ drop put it to me. What is Freedom Party's plan for managing the pandemic? And the question itself sounds insane. They're actually talking about managing pandemics well into the future. How would they know <laughs> that there's going to be a pandemic that needs to be managed, or which requires political parties and candidates to have a plan? That just blows me away. We are joined in studio today by my good friend and political compatriot, Freedom Party of Ontario leader Paul McKeever. Welcome, Paul. Good day, Bob. And I want to know what your plan is to manage the next hurricane or tornado crisis (laughs) if it's Ontario, right? (laughs) That's how it seems. And of course, for those who may be new to the show or unaware, full disclosure, I myself am president of the Freedom Party, though I'm not a candidate in this election. And let me say that as someone who has been a participant at some level in Ontario elections ever since 1985, this election is unlike any other. And we'll be talking about that right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. So, Paul, you've just participated in your first 2022 candidates debate this past Monday as Freedom Party's candidate in the riding of London North Centre. Any immediate or observational comments that you would like to make? Oh, yes. Well, okay. Okay. So, as you said, the other parties are all pretending as though the last two years didn't happen, right? So, we have the progressive conservatives trying to avoid speaking with the media at all but making announcements, you know, where they take one question from a pre-selected person with a pre-selected question. For example, Doug Ford, he's up in Northern Ontario talking about building another road. We get him out in in Windsor talking about trying to get a battery plant of some kind built in Windsor, although I think the news was that there's not enough electricity to get it done because, of course, this province's governments have mismanaged the production of electricity for decades. And 
the liberal leader, of, he's out there saying that children should have to be vaccinated in order to attend school and they should be mandatorily masked. It just, oh, and he wants, of course, to cut the tax on fast food. Now, if you've ever <laughs> seen this guy, it's no wonder he wants that, I, you know. <laughs> Is that a personal slight? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I take great offense to this, this stuff when, you know, it's so obviously self-serving. Anyway, I go to this debate and, you know, the questions come out and they're about public transit. They're about people getting into university or taking a trade. None of the questions are about COVID. Now, I know you've been asked some questions about COVID, but at this all candidates debate, after two, two and a half years of going through all of this horrific stuff, with the government being the author of most of it, you would have thought the questions would have addressed COVID, finding out what was done, why it was done, who was affected by it, who benefited, who was hurt. You would have thought it would deal with an investigation into whether the government has gotten a little out of hand when it comes to respecting people's individual rights. You would have thought there'd be some question about what about the people who were harmed by government policy? Are they owed any kind of justice? And you would have thought there'd be some questions about were some of these emergency powers enacted where there really wasn't an emergency? They were unwarranted. None of that stuff. But I've been doing this for many years, running for Freedom Party and leading Freedom Party. And so I know how to answer a question and then give a, a response that also deals with the broader issue. And that's what I ended up having to do. You know, so for example, uh, they, they asked about uh, students' access to universities and, and trades. And I said, well, you don't do that by saying you're not allowed to attend school unless you're wearing a mask. And you don't do that by saying you're not allowed to be educated unless you're mandatorily vaccinated. That's not a concern with, you know, making sure that people have ac access to education. That's concerned with making sure they don't. Right. You know, uh, the same thing came up with, uh, with respect to housing, affordable housing. And I quickly pointed out that they're not talking about houses that are affordable. They're talking about living in a house that's subsidized by the taxpayer. And of course, they all kind of groaned when I pointed out that that's what we we're talking about. I mean, it wasn't audible, but you could see the body language as soon as I pointed out that what they're talking about is getting something for nothing. And, you and know, obviously, they seem to know that subconsciously somehow, don't they? Otherwise, they wouldn't react that way. Yeah, they, they think that this is somehow just the way things are and that to expose the way things are morally is like this inconvenience that need not be done. Can't we all just be civil and ignore the... The dirty bits, yeah. you know. Uh, same thing, you know, so when it came to housing affordability, you might say, well, what's McKeever and the Freedom Party going to possibly say about subsidized housing? I said, well, I'm not going to talk about subsidized housing because we're not, we're not suggesting any, but I will talk about affordable houses. And I said, the government has effectively made housing very expensive by banning so much of the landmass from, from development. I mean, they've got, they've got these, what they call green spaces or green belts, that cover 10% of the province. And you have to remember that Ontario really only has developable land along that 10%, the, the, the land that's along the lakes. Because north, it's all Canadian Shield, right? So the response from the Liberal candidate was, well, you know, it's a good thing to protect these, these lands, and we, we would not only protect the 10%, but we'd triple it to 30% of the land is protected and you can't build on it. And I rebutted to say, you know, I'd like to thank my friend from the Liberal Party for pointing out that she's not only not in favor of affordable housing, because that'll just make things more expensive, but she's actually in favor of policies that will in increase the prices of houses. So it was quite hilarious. And, and after that debate, I actually, I don't think she wanted to talk with me at all. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't blame her. <laughs>
But that is, that's true. They're trying to pretend that this is not about, that there's, there's no need to talk about anything that's been done over the last two years. Nobody wants accountability for what they've done to people. That's what it really comes down to. That's almost what all politicians other than of our sort would, would think about. You know, this whole idea of affordability as if it's the, a government's job to make things affordable is outrageous. It's, yeah. it's not a government's job. A government's job is to institute justice, which is, of course, part of Freedom Party's platform and which is completely violated when you force some people to pay for the housing of others. Yeah. And that follows through on everything, including... The affordability of fast food. <laughs> oh, know? my God, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing that they continue to follow this incredibly fake, unreal path to, you know, we're going to make it affordable. Basically, they're spending our money. Yeah. Well, at one point, I did ask the, the two people who were proposing that uh, electric cars be subsidized to the tune of something like nine or $10,000. And I said, you know, just a question for the two of you. Who earned the nine or ten thousand dollars that you would give to that person who wants to buy the, the Tesla? And why should the government be able to take it from those who earn it? Take the money from those who earn it? Right. Silence. They they didn't answer. Yeah, they, pro- they probably didn't know who that guy was that made the ten thousand dollars. Nor do nor do they care. Right. No. They don't care. They they say that you know hey if you've got it it's ours to take and give it to those who don't. That's their whole attitude. Yeah. And so you're the leader of the party. You're going into the 2022 campaign with 11 candidates this time around. Yep. Uh, Freedom Party throughout its history has had everywhere between 3 and 57 candidates, right. depending on the election. And now we're dealing with all these other splinter groups from, I guess, the PCs, I guess we'd have to yeah, really the, say. The, the Johnny-come-latelys. Yeah. There's two in particular. There's what's called the New Blue. They were formed a year ago in the middle of the pandemic. And then there was another one called Ontario Party which was formed, I think, two years ago, near the beginning of the pandemic, something like that. Although neither of these parties is particularly principled. In both cases, what they are are dysfunctional or rejected progressive conservatives. In the one case, Derek Sloan, he's the leader of the Ontario party. He tried to run for the leadership of the conservatives, got kicked out, sidelined, ran against his own party out in Alberta. And then uh, a few months back, the whoever owns the Ontario party registration said to Derek Sloan, hey, would you like to be our party leader? Figuring that he would bring in some conservative voters, I guess, the, the uh, disgruntled uh, conservatives, federally, you know. Maybe that'll work, maybe it won't. But the new blue is, a, is the, the counterpart in a sense. They're the disgruntled Ontario progressive conservatives, right? Uh, and from what I can tell, based on their literature, they're essentially the family coalition rebranded as, as the new blue. In other words, they're the social conservatives or family value sorts who are taking advantage of the covid uh, situation to sort of say, oh, we're for freedom. But they're not really for freedom. They're just taking advantage of the fact that a lot of people have been demanding freedom from government overreach on this right. COVID stuff. And they see these signs that say freedom and they say, hey, I guess New Blue is uh, the Freedom Party. Yeah. But there's already a Freedom Party that's actually for freedom, not just against Doug Ford's brand of conservatism. You know, That's the one thing about the whole freedom phenomenon. And I think we'll talk about that a little more after our upcoming break. Doug Ford is, what do they call them, progressive conservatives? Or the CP, conservative progressives. Either, they're either called progressive conservatives or conservative progressives. I don't know what it means anymore. These labels mean nothing. Doug Ford locked people down in Ontario. They had among the worst lockdown measures behind Quebec, but very bad nonetheless. Doug Ford wanted to put everyone on house arrest and ensure that everyone was compelled to show a reason for being out in public as a response to the pandemic. 
Doug Ford himself, who broke the rules himself to go have a, you know, a, an intimate dinner, intimate meeting with his daughter, while the regular rabble of society were prevented from doing so. And then there's Doug Ford. You got that Doug Ford clip there that we could have a look at? This guy pandering up, he's not on the same side as Trudeau, right? He's not, is he supposed to be? Is he, like, Trudeau has run our nation into a, an abysmal mess. Should anyone from the right be praising him and saying how good they get along with him? Well, take a look at Doug Ford. Who is this guy? I just got to thank him again. Uh, I, I don't remember. I've been in politics a long time, similar to the prime minister and the rest of these folks. Two governments working uh, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Forget the political stripes. We're, we're all federally and provincially and municipally working for the people. That's, that's, that's why we're here, to make things better. And with the partnership, as I mentioned, no matter if it's uh, Windsor or batteries or or critical minerals, or making green steel into FASCO, or building the largest transit project in North America. I couldn't do that without the great collaboration uh, with the federal government. It's all about building relationships, and we've built up a great relationship, and uh, you know, I have a great relationship with the PM, and I have a great relationship with uh, Christia Freeland. Uh, she's, a, she's wonderful, so uh, thank you everyone. Have a great day. Oh, oh, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. She froze the accounts with our Prime Minister of Freedom-Loving People. I'm in studio with Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever. And Paul, I was surprised to see how many political parties, I didn't even know about a lot of these. Uh, the Alliance, they have two candidates. Canadians' Choice Party, two candidates. Communist Party of Canada, still around after all these years. And they've got a dozen candidates. The Consensus Party, 11 candidates. CPO, I don't even know what that stands for. Do you know? No, I have no idea. Uh, two candidates. Freedom of Choice, Peace and Justice Party. Now, they're almost stealing from us. They're freedom <laughs> of choice, right? Two candidates. Freedom Party of Ontario, of course, 11 candidates. Libertarian, 16. They've been around for ages. Northern Ontario Party, two. None of the above. Ontario Moderate Party is going to go through Ontario's People's Front, Ontario Provincial Confederation of Regions Parties. Core is still around. Wow. That, that really blew me away. The Populist Ontario, Populist Ontario, I guess that's the name of it. Public Benefit Party, two candidates. Stop the new sex ed agenda. That's the name of a party. Can you believe that? And The People. What's going on? Well, The People, I won't comment on that, but the fellow who runs The People, he's uh, well, he's a different character, let's just say. <laughs> but the other parties, you, you notice that a number of them say two candidates. That's very significant. The reason they say two candidates is because in order to remain a registered political party in Ontario, you have to run at least two candidates in each election. And the fact that they're doing the very bare minimum tells me that their real purpose most probably is not to win seats or to participate in elections, but to have access to tax credits because when you give money to a an organization that's, right. that's registered under the elections act you can hand out tax credits and as you know they're generous they're like you know 75 percent of your money goes comes back to you so i suspect that a large number of parties are formed primarily for some kind of use of 
or misuse of tax credits. I don't know that they are. The other thing, and we've seen a lot of evidence of that over the past forty years too well, in sure. other political parties. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons Freedom Party makes sure that all of our accounting and things like that are centralized. We're audited regularly, and we make sure none of that stuff goes on. Yeah, because most of that creep stuff happens at the at the local level. Yeah. Some guy c- comes on, says he wants to be the president of the local riding association and the CFO of the local riding association. And all of a sudden, we've seen in other parties, money goes missing right. or what have you. So, yeah, we've been pretty good about avoiding that. The other thing that I think happens is, and we've seen this with, well, even the Green Party, when that was formed, or the all of the above or none of the above party, I think it's called. But I think these parties are deliberately set up in the hopes that they can draw votes away. So, in other words, if you've got, as I say, Freedom Party that's coming out strong on like COVID uh, policy and saying that the, the government should not be masking people up, forcing them to, you know, have digital IDs and et cetera. Well, then obviously, if you're the progressive conservatives and you can't really counter that because you're the one that's been imposing all of this stuff, you want a good handful of parties that can say the same thing as Freedom Party so that hopefully you can divide that that opposition, you know. And I'm reasonably sure that's that, that's what happens. I mean, most of these parties won't exist next election. Well, that's an interesting thing, too, because one of the things that distinguishes Freedom Party is that our party, when we got registered initially, we had to collect 40,000 signatures of eligible voters in the province of Ontario to be a registered party. Right. Then we ran in our first election, only three campaigns, but we did really well. We got 3 to 5% right off the bat. Next thing we know, the government changes the rules. And all of a sudden, instead of only having three to four parties to pick from, we now have like 20, 25, because yeah. all it takes to start a party now is to write a letter. Yeah. And, and, and that's just insanity. Yeah, well, you know what happened? You'll recall, it used to cost $200 per candidate if you wanted to run uh, you know, candidates for your party. And the problem was that the Supreme Court of Canada was making decisions which indicated that that was going to be unco- found to be unconstitutional. So they needed some other way to make it difficult for, for new parties to emerge. At the time, I think there were only eight parties. There was uh, Liberal PC, NDP, Green, Freedom Party, Libertarian, Family Coalition, and Communist Party. I think those were all of them. That sounds very good. That's yeah. good memory. Right. So, so then what they did when they took, when they took away the, you know, not, we can't hold them back by making them pay an inordinate amount of money to participate. So what we'll do instead is we'll flood the market with parties. We'll make it so, as you say, just write a letter, run two candidates, and you can have a party too. And so all of these Johnny-come-latelys come in, like this, the you know, New Blue and uh, Ontario Party, just within the last year or so, so that they can take similar stands on, say, a COVID. They, they can't take similar stands on freedom because they're not in favor of individual freedom. They're, they're conservatives. They're, you know, if you line them up and you said, should a woman be free to make choices with her own body, they would be saying, oh, I don't like to answer that question because half of us would want to, to mandate uh, they're, they're, it's a, totally, any choice. Yeah, yeah, the people are all over the place on that issue and you're right. not going to get a consensus. Right. And so, you know, they, they'll, they'll try and eat away at uh, some of our planks. But what comes across, I think, for us is that we're always there to advocate for consent. The individual's consent to right. must have consent. Now, just to get back to this party and financing thing, of course, a couple of years ago, you'll recall, the Wynn government made it illegal for you as a party leader to be at a Freedom Party fundraiser. They reduced the ability of all the parties to voluntarily raise money, and they gave the parties taxpayer-funded money. But, so, but the thing is, now we're told... Yeah that that whole system is going to end as of the last period in, in the legislature. Am I correct in assuming 
that no parties are going to be tax funded by the Ontario taxpayer anymore? I, because that, I don't was, think that was the understanding as far as I knew. That was the understanding as of, I believe, twenty mid-2018. So what happened was in 2018, okay, just a little bit of back history. So it's it's like February, March of 2018, and the Progressive Conservative Party is led by a fellow named Patrick Brown. And CTV runs a story on the late night news saying that three women have accused him of sexual misconduct. Not rape, not assault, yeah. misconduct, whatever that word's supposed to mean. And within the first 24 hours of that story airing, uh, he was required to step down as party leader. And then they had to have a rush leadership race. Okay, this is with the election coming up in June. They're having a leadership race in like March, April. Yeah. And so finally, uh, they made their decision. They went with Doug Ford, but nobody had a platform, election platform. And Doug Ford spent his time basically trying to dodge and stay out of the the way of the media because they knew that Doug Ford's not really good on his feet. He's a bit of a bumbler. Well, he's a lot of a bumbler. And the people who run his campaign know just keep him away from the cameras. Don't let him see any reporters. Let him stand 100 feet back at a podium cutting a ribbon, and that's it. We'll get him back on the bus and move him along. They're doing the exact same thing this time, by the way. He's been up in northern Ontario. He's been out of the most you know, western extreme of the province. But what, where you haven't seen him is in the GTA. But I think he made a quick snap a visit to London the other day, but no one even knew it until he was gone. And he didn't take a lot of questions or anything like that from the media. So when the election finally happened... Again, Doug Ford didn't really have a platform and he didn't really campaign on any platform. He wins the election because he's a fairly popular guy or was at the time because of his brother, Rob Ford, the former mayor of Toronto who had passed away. I believe it was some kind of cancer. And what did they do in their first six months as the government? Well, they basically opened the Freedom Party 2018 election platform and implemented every single plank in it except one. And you know what that was, Bob? What? Due process. (laughs) Due, due process. Due process. You know, so this, keep in mind the, the idea is that when someone's accused of doing something wrong, we shouldn't just assume that they're wrong. You know, you don't just believe the accuser out the door. You know, you don't just believe Patrick Brown's accusers, for example, who were never named. You know, we don't even know who they were or what they're alleging he did. He was railroaded. Right. So, of course, that's the one thing that Doug Ford can't possibly implement because his own party just finished railroading somebody without any due process. <laughs> But yeah, they adopted, they adopted our funding proposal in 2018, which said get rid of government subsidies for, for political parties. So they did that. But then I think they did a reverse course. Uh, and I'm not quite sure where things stand at this point going into the uh, post-election cycle. Prior to that, the reason the government put everybody onto these, um, these subsidies or these uh, allowances, I think they call them, was because the, liberal, the governing Liberal Party had been caught with its pants down taking, you know, money for access, right? You want to have a, a sit down with the minister of such and such, well, you have to make sure that you fund the Liberal Party in some way, shape, or form. And when this came to light, I think it was the Toronto Star that, that exposed it, they said, oh my goodness, we need to have funding reform for political parties. As though they aren't the problem, they're going to go turn around and fix it. So how did they fix it? They gave themselves an allowance, they cut back on the money that you can collect from individuals privately, and they gave themselves an allowance, they gave themselves like, four times more money than they'd been collecting from private donors. Of course, yeah. Right? And at the same time, knocked us out. And at the same time, got rid of access to politicians. How do you do that? Well, you make sure that nobody can talk to an MP, or sorry, MPP, or a candidate, or a party leader in the context of a fundraiser. Well, the whole reason a party has a dinner is to raise funds. So although Freedom Party's history had always been, we have a fundraising dinner, the party leader's there giving a speech. Usually there's a guest giving a speech. Everyone has a nice time. Nobody's 
governing, so nobody's using the, taking the money to change government policy. This is just raising money for a party. Well, they decided across the board, whether you're a M- sitting MPP or not, you could just be Paul McKeever, private lawyer who is also leader of the Freedom Party, but you're not even allowed to attend a fundraiser for, your, for Freedom Party because of what? What could, possi- what could Paul McKeever possibly do to change government policy? Not Nothing only that, unless he's elected. Not only that, but also any declared candidate was not allowed. That's right. That is insanity. You could be a milkman who was a declared candidate, and they're afraid that by attending a fundraiser, you're somehow going to you know, cause some kind of government corruption. You're not even in the government yet. I know. <laughs> That's how they always project their own sins onto everyone Absolutely. else around them, right? That, that has always been the thing. And, you know, it's early, as we're recording this, it's still early in the campaign, and I'm actually quite impressed by how some of our candidates have been already covered in some of the media. Yes, there has been some good coverage. And uh, particularly, I was looking at Silvio Orsamarzo in Oakville. Yeah. And he was recently quoted in the uh, Oakville Beaver. I thought this was great. And he talks about how would you grade the province's COVID-19 response and why? And he responds, terrible, miserable failing grade. The past two-plus years of government's horrendous handling of COVID-19 has provided a clear and painful example of how your life, liberty, and property have been violated. The provincial leadership of all parties have been derelict in their duties by abrogating their responsibilities to an unelected medical bureaucracy who has shut down any dissenting medical experts or the alternative methods of handling COVID-19. This must never happen again. Quite frankly... Yeah, and I'm I'm surprised they printed it. I am too. I am too, and I'm I'm glad they did. Yeah. Uh, but Silvio is a long-standing member, and and he's run for Freedom Party consistently yeah. for many many years, and he's a talented guy. I mean, he's a banker. He knows what oh, he's yeah. talking about. And uh, I'm I'm really happy that uh, the uh, media were willing to publish what he had to say because it's a it needs to be heard. Well, excellent. And when we return after this next bumper break, we'll be uh, listening to our local London candidate from London West here, who is Mike McMullen, and then you and I will return to conclude our conversation. Excellent. Let's be fair. Let's be fair about Doug Ford. I mean, maybe, you know, his politics are one thing, but, you know, I hate to say things like this, but you take him as education minister, right? Yeah. Dealing with a global crisis, right? Their intellectual acumen to deal with this is just not there. You know, him and his health, him and his education minister, I think, would have a hard time giving me a coherent two-page essay, even if I gave him a deluxe set of Crayolas, you know? First one to clean up the bullshit gets my support. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. We're joined now by Mike McMullen, London West candidate for the Freedom Party of Ontario. And Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Bob. It's a great, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, and isn't it interesting that the last time you were here, you were here as a candidate for the People's Party of Canada, federally. What made you make the move to Freedom Party and not one of the other parties that have sprung up <laughs> since the last election? Well, there's, there's, there's several reasons behind it. I was asked to run for various parties, including, uh, I think, uh, at one point, the OFP, the uh, uh, Libertarians, the Ontario Party, the New Blue, um, which I actually assisted uh, in the early onset of helping develop that party. But, I mean, uh, 
during the last federal campaign, um, most of my team and that, that provided me a lot of support, um, including my chief financial officer and my campaign managers, etc., were from the Freedom Party. And they provided me a tremendous, a tremendous amount of support during my federal campaign. So when they asked me to run for the Freedom Party, you know, I was kind of him and Han because I didn't want to run provincially sure. just based on just a lot of stuff going on in my life. But, uh, you know, after a couple of weeks, we, we had some discussions and I said, okay, fine, uh, uh, you know, let's do it. Okay. So I decided to run for the Freedom Party. And the Freedom Party platform is very similar to uh, the PPC platform, you know, where, where we talk about uh, the freedom of thought and the freedom of, of conscience and the freedom to work and the freedom to, you know, have your own beliefs and right. share your beliefs. And uh, so, so the platform was pretty much in line with the PPC. And, and the other thing is, is because... You guys formed in London over 30 years ago. You know, I, I also saw it maybe as an opportunity as well. But the other thing is, is that even in the federal elections, uh, there's a lot of crossover uh, between the provincial and the federal uh, when it comes to questions like uh, in regards to health care. So I, I, it would be a good learning experience to uh, learn more about provincial politics so that I can, you know, when these questions come up federally, I'll yeah. know what I'm talking about. So. Well, that's great. So I know you've just come from one of your all-candidates debates. What was your impression? And I was very uh, taken aback when I heard that the uh, progressive conservatives are not planning to attend or participate in any of these all-candidates debates. Was a reason given for that? or I haven't heard a reason, but in the debate that I attended today for the London West riding, there was no uh, provincial conservatives uh, show up uh, at the debate. So uh, I think think that they were told by uh, Doug Ford not to go to the debates. I think he's worried that one of them are going to slip up. <laughs> and uh, so I guess his uh, philosophy is to say nothing and, and hope for the best. Well, it's his government that's under attack right now, really, isn't it? It's the one that has to be held accountable. Yeah. And I find it very strange that in a, after a couple of years like we've just had, that of all people not to show up at a debate and to justify their position, the PCs don't show up. Yeah, it's, it's more like the Invisible Party of Ontario. <laughs> That's about it. It's like our invisible government. So how, how did the candidate debate go, and what, what, what did you say there, and what was covered, and what did the other candidates have to offer in terms of some sort of rebuttal, or I don't even know how to put you how to ask that. Well, there was, uh, you know, a few questions. Obviously, health care is a big issue. Um, uh, you know, they were talking about uh, transit and bus fare and, and things like that. Uh, they also meant, they also brought up the terrorist attack that happened in London West, which which I said, I'd, how do we know it was a terrorist attack? Good for you. I don't know why they keep bringing up these questions when nobody can produce any uh, evidence. Uh, the, the other thing that I also saw is the other candidates as well were incredibly nervous in the debates. Oh. So most of them were flipping through their papers and trying to figure out how to answer questions and stuff like that. Whereas, uh, because this is my, my third run through, I'm more comfortable just sp speaking from the heart. Sure. Right. And just telling people how I personally feel, you know, and, and, and just like, just like anything in life, I mean, your beliefs could change based on evidence. Right. And if that evidence isn't there, then. Well, then you got to go with what you know. You go with what That's you right. Know. Don't you think it odd that the election is being held as though it was just politics as usual, as if nothing has happened over the past three years? They're bringing up all these issues, building highways, transit, all this stuff. I don't think those are the big issues that were on people's minds over the past three years. No. It, 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 it seems to me that the stuff being discussed in the election is so irrelevant 
to a majority of people. I, I find the whole exercise almost to be a joke in a funny sort of way, even though it's a necessary part of our democratic system to make us believe the voter still has some kind of say in anything. Did the issue of pandemic come up at all? Was there anybody saying anything about it? No, actually, they didn't uh, really even speak of the pandemic. It's like almost like it didn't exist. I did make some comments at the debate that, uh, you know, uh, they keep talking about shortage of, of healthcare workers and frontline workers and nurses and uh, that we should be hiring back all the people that the Ford government, uh, you know, tried to coerce into a whatever medical to, to a medical procedure and I said we should be hiring these back and stop complaining about the shortages the other thing that that really kind of gets me too is most of the most of the establishment parties sat and complained about how bad the establishment is that's interesting yeah right so the liberals are blaming the conservatives and the conser- well f- sorry f- conservatives that weren't there yeah, right right <laughs> and then the NDP are blaming the liberals and, and and they're talking about how terrible things are but then you ask yourself wait a minute I mean isn't it you guys that have been in power for the past 20 years so you know why don't you look at yourself I mean nothing's gotten better in two decades things have just gotten worse and worse and worse and then you're here to tell me how bad it is when you've been in charge of it exactly and how did they respond to that, or did well, they? Well, they didn't like that. Well, didn't like it, but what did they say? Did they say anything interesting? They were pretty silent. Oh, okay. Well, that's what you get. It's a very frustrating experience, I know. What has been your observation, I guess, regarding the public mood out there and the people that you meet in the streets and stuff like that? I, I think I think in general, I think uh, many people, and, and, and this crosses uh, party lines as well, have, are just fed up with the system. Uh, the system doesn't uh, apparently work for them anymore, and I think people see that now, and they're starting to realize it, and uh, they've lost faith in uh, many of our politicians. What do they see as the system? Is, is it the democratic system? Is it voting? Is it the government in general? Or do you not really get a firm idea on that? There's, there's different levels. Yeah. Um, a lot of people feel like, well, what does it matter if I vote? Yes, we're getting a lot of that. So why... You know, I'm still, it doesn't matter who you vote for. It's going to be the same, you know, BS. Right. Right. Uh, every government just gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, uh, you know, just like death by thousand cuts, we lose a freedom here or a right here. And, and uh, you know, I've even talked to people that just they want to leave Canada or they, they want to move up north or they just they just want to just just kind of say goodbye to the whole uh, the whole system. Right. And then, of course, we've got. Uh, you know, the same government that, that has created all these crises, as, as I mentioned earlier, where we've got, you know, skyrocketing inflation costs. We've got home ownership that is completely out of reach. We've got students that are straddled with debt. Probably won't be able to pay that off until they're like... This is what's interesting is all these debt accumulations and the constant deficit financing, the constant accumulation of debt, and they don't stop for a second in terms of all their spending plans. Not even a, not even a, a consideration for stopping it or slowing it down. How do they justify their existence, for heaven's sake? I, I, I can't believe that politicians are so blind to the people they're supposed to be representing, but I don't think they represent people anymore. I don't think they represent, and I actually brought that up at the debate, I don't think they don't represent the people, they represent the party. And that's exactly what Randy Hillier said when uh, he dropped out of provincial politics for this round. And and I know you know Randy, and you've talked to him. He's a great guy. Yes, I think so, too. I think he's, um, a lot of people have are, have all kinds of suspicions about him. When somebody says something correct, you can't really ignore it. 
Yeah, I was going to, I mean, Randy, uh, I mean, along with the No More Lockdowns and the No More Lockdown Caucus and stuff like that, provided me an incredible amount of support during the Federals. So, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that, and I'm thankful for him for that. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Now, of course, health care has been the reason for a lot of the lockdowns we've had lately. We had to flatten the curve, <laughs> and instead, yeah. the curve has expanded where waiting lists and lineups and other things like that are getting worse and worse. I don't know, as long as government keeps regulating and controlling health care, I don't see it ever getting better until we are back to where we were before the conservatives brought in this nightmare socialized health care that everybody thinks is such a big, great deal. Yeah, it's not that great of a deal. I mean, there's uh, health care in Switzerland or even in the U.S. is uh, is better than the health care uh, in Canada at this point. And in many countries, they use kind of a mixture between private and public health care. And if, if the government keeps talking about its inability to fix it because there's the shortages of nurses and shortages of beds and shortage of this and shortages of that, then, then my recommendation is, or, or a five-year wait line to get into a nursing home, the, the solution is to simply maybe privatize some of it. Well, it should all be privatized. You know, government shouldn't be in any of these industries because that's not government. Government's about justice and you know, ensuring law and order and defense and things like that. People don't even talk about those things anymore. And here we are. We've been locked down, supposedly to help our health care system. It isn't being helped at all. People are being locked out of their hospitals and locked into their homes, <laughs> almost in a way. Yeah. Um, did no one bring up anything to do with the pandemic and anything to do with, you know, what we already know about things like the VAERS report in the States and all the, 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 the negative effects of the vaccine. No, no talk about that at all. Nothing at all. I mean, the only thing they talked about is if I had a mask or not. Really? Yes. And the fact, <laughs> how did that conversation come up? I said, no, I haven't worn one in two years. So did you wear one? I said, if you have one, I'll wear it. And then he handed me a Fanshawe College mask, which I wore and did my debate. Now, it was funny even at the debate. I find, I find that so insulting and so immoral in a way. Uh, we don't have a, any masking in, in London anymore or in Ontario. I was just in a restaurant Saturday night that was absolutely packed. I only saw one person wearing a mask out of hundreds. Mm-hmm. And yet we already know that the PCs are bringing, going to bring this all back again in spades. And they're, they're planning everything from lockdowns to more masking to more vaccine uh, mandates to you name it, even isolation things. This, is all, this was all in their budget, which might be why they didn't show up. They wouldn't want to be called on that. Well, yeah, that's, uh, you know what, that, that could be very well. I mean, uh, you can kind of see the, the drips and drops of our future already happening with what every other politician in canada claiming they caught covid <laughs> you know what's going on in china um it's kind of a repeat of what we saw in 2019 right so uh i mean i have a suspicion i i hope i'm wrong but i have suspicion that uh, pretty much after provincial election we're going to be going back into this stuff again yeah, i agree with you i think I that's ho- exactly hope, what's going to happen i hope i'm wrong i i hope someone could say you were wrong michael great yeah. <laughs> you know but i uh, just you can kind of see it already building up. Well, it's not only that. They've already announced it in so many ways. It's like they're going ahead with it. This isn't going to stop. Mm-hmm. And the long-term plan, even from the WHO and, and the international community, they're just going ahead with this nonstop. I don't think our elections are going to even have any effect on it. 
Yeah, I mean, our leaders now are like the man in the high castle, right? So they well, just... Do you get the impression that the public supports basically what we're, what, what the government's doing in general? Because that's what the polls supposedly say. I, you know what? I don't think so. I, yeah. I, I doubt it. I doubt it very strongly that uh, the public probably doesn't even aware of what's going on. That's, that's more the case that I've been used to. <laughs> so any final comments you wanted to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I just um, and I and I've had I've had some great conversations with Jacques uh, from the Libertarian Party. I've talked to uh, Chris Hunt from from the New Blue Party. Um, I had a great conversation with Cynthia from uh, uh, the Ontario Party, mm-hmm. and I've talked to many many other parties. In fact, just before I got here, I was talking to another party from none of the above parties. Oh yeah, that's. Uh... But um, but what I tell everybody, you know, I'm not going to say vote for me, you know, blah blah blah. But what I am going to say is vote for that candidate who has the same values as yourself or at some way closely aligns to your values. Stop voting out of fear. Stop, you know, I have to vote for this person because this person, because it's the same thing that's going to happen and it's going to happen over and over and again. It always happens. And we need to stop voting out of fear and we need to start voting for people that actually represent us. Us. And we need to vote for freedom, and we need to vote for the freedom of opinion and belief and the freedom of expression and the freedom of the press. Mm. I mean, even the press itself seems, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really all controlled by the same corporation in Canada, Post Media, so, which, is then, <laughs> which is then paid by the taxpayers, right? Excellent. So when you get out to the, uh, you get out to the voting booth today and, uh, you know, vote for the Freedom Party. I mean, those the ones, those are the people that are going to be standing up for your values. And for me, it'll be a pleasure to vote for you the second time. The last time I voted for you, you're running in my riding in London West, and you did that with the PPC as well. And uh, I had the pleasure of voting for you last time, will again this time. And uh, I thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Bob. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to our next uh, chat. Be great. We're taking a phased approach with 21 days between each step to make sure we haven't moved too fast. Starting January 31st, businesses in Ontario will return to 50% capacity. For the first step, arenas, concert venues, and theaters will be capped at 500 people. Social gatherings will increase to 10 people indoors and 25 people outdoors. This year at COVID's Wonderland. Take the plunge on the double jabber. Your warp speed syringe cart will climb 666 hellish feet off the side of a giant replica of Doug Ford's behemoth belly. Then feel the pre-symptomatic exhilaration as you dangerously free fall, splashing down into his ginormous shark-infested belly button. It's like the adrenaline rush of an adverse reaction. Talk about a case of holding on to your democracy, kids. COVID's Wonderland, the theme park that's outdoors, where you need to wear a mask and have been vast with something that doesn't stop transmission or infection for a disease you don't have. So we just heard from Mike McMullen in the previous quarter, and of course, Paul, you know that Mike came over from the PPC. 
Yeah, I think that was a natural fit. I mean, if you look at what um, PPC was offering in the most recent election, it's the same idea, although, you know, obviously the PPC is a federal party, so they deal with federal aspects of the of uh, COVID and the government's response to it. But, you know, Maxime Bernier and, and myself, like, we clearly see eye to eye on the role of government with respect to COVID and uh, or any potential. A lot emergency. of issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I think Mike found it a very easy transition from the federal uh, PPC to the provincial Freedom Party and, and right back again. You know, I'm sure he'll be running for the PPC the next federal election if he's not sitting as an MPP. Yeah, I think so too. So why should people vote for Freedom Party if they have a candidate in their riding? Well, if they're lucky enough to have a candidate in their riding, uh, they should have a look at Freedom Party's website where you'll find the, um, the election platform for 2022. Uh, we call it Truth, Rights, Justice, Freedom. And that's because, well, people, fans of this show will know about the sort of four areas of of philosophy, you know, what are the facts, epistemology, how do I know, ethics, what should I do? And then in in terms of politics, freedom, you know. And consent. And that's the key, that's the key thing, consent. So we have structured the platform so that it deals with those four branches of philosophy, essentially, but not as philosophy, just what are the policy implications for each of those branches of philosophy, for our position on reality, reason, self, and consent. Well, we start with truth. And we say, look, um, we've had two, two and a half years of a government that's been imposing various harsh measures. We deserve an account for what they did, what effects it had, who profited, who, who was hurt by it. We want an independent panel, not the government itself, to, do the, to conduct the inquiry. And we want to be able to bring in people who can testify not simply to what was the party line or what was the, the narrative, but people who were opposed to the narrative. We want to hear from the doctors and the scientists, and et cetera, who were demonized in the media, who, who the government uh, sidelined and wouldn't listen to, so that we have a balanced report on what the government did and what the government should have done and shouldn't, should not have done. So that's, that's the first pillar, truth. The second pillar of our platform is rights. And here we're talking about, you know, what is the role of government? What is its, its job with respect to the individual? And we see two very different views. It's the individualist view versus the collectivist view. The individualist view is your purpose in your life, your highest purpose is to pursue your own happiness first and foremost. And the government's job is to defend your peaceful pursuit of your own happiness. Well, the collectivist role says, uh, no, no, we're going to sacrifice your efforts to become happy because there's a greater good that needs to be served here. And so your money is our money. Your decisions over health care are now our decisions over your health care, et cetera. Those are very different views. In fact, when I was on that panel on Monday, it was very obvious that I was on stage with four collectivists, four people who thought that everybody needs to sacrifice for the greater good of the community, the greater good of the province, the greater good of the collective, what have you. The Freedom Party is not about that. We're, we're saying that the whole purpose of government is to prevent people from making you sacrifice. Not only that, but that approach of theirs has never resulted in anything positive, ever, in, in world history. Right. Even why in do, the last two years, persist? you can see it. I know. Why do they persist? Do they not see? I, 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 I think I, they I, wish. I, yeah, they well, wish. they wish for something for nothing, you know, and they think that if we just will it into existence, it'll all work out somehow. But they have an intuition or a feeling, right? Yeah. Completely. The right thing to do is we all pull together. You always see this language. Together, we can achieve this. Together. 
you know, and there's no together about it. There's my wallet and their hand. That's always the way. Well, then, then you're together. <laughs> Doesn't it work that way? So, you know, one of the things we're saying is that the government has to remember that it's there not to force you to wear masks, let's say, but to, to prevent people from forcing you to wear masks. Not to coerce you into taking a vaccine that you, that's experimental, but to facilitate your freedom to choose whether you want to take the vaccine or not and to give you access to things that otherwise might be banned by government. In other words, the right to choose. You know, if you think that the mRNA vaccine or the therapy is going to help you and your physician tells you that his or her honest opinion is that it's helpful, then you should be free to do it, that you shouldn't need the government's approval. Likewise, the other way around. The government shouldn't be telling you, you must get vaccinated for the greater good, etc. And we've seen how that turned out anyway. It turns out not to work, the vaccine, especially on this, what they're calling a, what is it, a variant, Omicron variant. <laughs> and yet, even with it not working and everybody... I, I, I laugh when I hear these variant terms because... Yeah. They're so laughable. Yeah. It's just amazing how science has been abandoned in the name of science. Well, the only science that matters now is political science. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a science either. Yeah. So the, the third pillar of our 2022 election platform concerns justice. Now, I can tell you as an employment lawyer, there are all kinds of people. We were flooded. The phone lines were flooded, especially in the fall of 2021, with people who were being told by their employer. And these are not employers that are required to uh, vaccinate their like we're not talking healthcare workers. Right. I am talking about, let's say, for example, a woman who works from home, never goes into the workplace, works for a big company, and the company adopts a policy that either you tell us your vaccination status or you will be put on unpaid leave until we decide otherwise. Unpaid leave. It's the same as firing you, right? Mm -hmm. Except that the Ford government passed a regulation that said, if you put a person on unpaid leave for COVID-19 reasons, you're protected. The government protects you, employer. And so there are people who've been sitting at home without pay since March of 2020. I don't know how many of them committed suicide. I don't know how many of them lost their homes. But these people need some justice. There are people who were injured because they were coerced to take the vaccine or else lose their job. Yeah. They literally were fired in some cases for not getting vaccinated. Can you imagine? And EI, which is a federal matter, was denied to people who refused to get vaccinated. You know, these people still exist. They're still being punished. The COVID-19 period that allows the employer to, to leave a person to languish in their own homes for years doesn't end until July 30th. July 30th. So all this notion that it's all behind us now is BS. The Ford government knows that people right now are angry, poor, probably expropriated, probably kicked out of their homes, and they don't want to talk about these people. So... Justice concerns making sure that, for example, I'll give you one example. If you were an employer who, without being required to by the government, fired an employee or put them home on unpaid leave, then the Freedom Party policy is, well, you actually dismissed that person and it was unjust at common law. You're going to pay them back wages to the date you did that unlawful thing to the present. And you're going to reinstate them immediately if they want to be reinstated. And you cannot put them on as they can right now. The way the Ford government works is when July 30th happens, employers can still pe put people on 13-week layoff, unpaid layoff. If they, don't con if they continue their benefits, they can go over 35 weeks. So eight months more after the COVID period's over, people could be languishing in their homes without a penny to, right. to pay for the groceries. Right. I think this is absolutely wrong. And so uh, the justice pillar of our platform would deal with that.
We also have phys physicians, for example, who lost their license to practice because they dared to say to their patients, I think this particular substance, whether it's ivermectin or one of these others, hydroxychloroquine, would be helpful in your circumstance, given your body type, given your medical condition, etc. They weren't allowed to say that. Their own college threatened them with delicensure and in some cases actually took licenses away from physicians. The Freedom Party position is we give those licenses back immediately and we curtail the powers of these colleges to tell doctors what the right medicine is for their for their patients. That's not what's that got to do with anything? That that decision has to be made on the the knowledge that the doctor has about the particular patient, their health, their their history, and et cetera. The College of Physicians and Surgeons doesn't have any idea what my medical history is or anyone else's. And for them to say everyone must be vaccinated is to presume that everyone has the exact same body and will react in the exact same way and needs it for the exact same purpose. And that's assuming it's a vaccination. And that's assuming it's a vaccination. <laughs> which, which is a huge assumption. Right. So the fourth and final uh, pillar, and I should just add, Bob, you know, these are pillars that relate primarily to looking back over the last two years and making sure it doesn't happen again going forward. It's not as though that's the only thing a freedom government would do, of course. There are other things that need to be addressed, having nothing at all to do with... Well, uh, we've been addressing all pandemic. those other things for 40 years, and... and pandemics was never part of the mix that's until right. now. That's right. And and so you just deal with the issues that you you know that are present at the time. And then people who do want to find out what we've said in the past on other issues, they should really go to the freedomparty.on.ca slash archive site where you can get all of the past election platforms. We don't hide our past like all the other parties do. Every news clipping, every audio bite, every video, every election platform, every you know publication we've ever had has been digitized and made available for free. Uh, at that archive. So check it out if you at all doubt our sincerity when, and our commitment to freedom. But as I say, this fourth pillar, freedom, concerns making changes that will prevent the government from, you know, repeating what it's done over the last two, two and a half years. There clearly were circumstances where the government imposed an emergency to give itself powers, even though there really was no emergency going on. And so one of the things we're proposing is to say, if uh, a government decides that it wants to declare an emergency and give itself all these powers, okay. But the consequence of that is there has to be an election six months later. In other words, the people get a choice or a, a power to throw the bums out if they didn't like what they did by put, imposing the emergency. So it's a, it's a check and a balance against an abuse of power by the elected government. That's one of the major things. And of course, uh, the other idea is like, for example, the legislature was effectively closed. The government had no opposition. You know, it's been doing all of this without opposition. It only recently opened up the, the legislature to the MPPs. <laughs> well, even when they're open, they have no opposition. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another, another example, you know, this idea that, well, schools can decide whether a child should have one of these injections. No, they shouldn't. A parent is a parent, and that's that. And if the parent hasn't consented to a medical treatment or a drug of some kind be administered to the child, that's the end of the story. The, the, the liberal government right now are insane, or the liberal party right now are insane. They're proposing every child attending school has to be man mandatorily vaccinated. And they give you the line, and they did this again last Monday at the debate. They said, well, there's always exemptions available. We all know that trying to get an exemption, whether it was a mask mandate or an injection of some kind, those things were just window dressing. Nobody was getting exemptions. They were only saying it so it looked as though these mandatory measures were somehow compliant with the charter, and they're not. Right. So I think together, Bob, I think these four pillars will um, 
stand the test of time. They're consistent with Freedom Party's message over the years. They'll give people a chance to vote for something other than more lockdowns, more mask mandates, etc. I'll just point out, if you were to look at the budget that the progressive conservative government... I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, they, they have $6.9 billion in future spending. In other words, for 2022-2023, billion in COVID spendings, and particularly of, COVID. Yeah. Uh, 230, I think it is, or $213 billion, uh, million, uh, earmarked for continued vaccinations. And not only that, they want increased vaccination rates. They're planning to build isolation centers. Yes, isolation camps. They're, they literally talk about isolation centers in their in their platform. And and they're putting billions into vaccine manufacturing and all of this stuff. And the worst part is that's the PC platform. Yeah. And the other parties, the liberals and the NDP, would make it even ten times worse. Probably. Although, who cares at that point? At that time, by that point, when you've lost that much freedom, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, it's not as though, thank goodness, there's Doug Ford. No, life will not be livable over the next four years with the Ford government. You might die sooner with a liberal government or an NDP government, but, but you know, <laughs> uh, there's, no, there's no freedom to be found in the Ford government. The other thing is, Bob, you know, the PCs would have you believe that their mind is no longer focusing on COVID or pandemic, etc. But the fact of the matter is, if you bother to read the, the platform that they put out, which they're calling a budget, two weeks ago... It mentions the pandemic 82 times. It mentions vaccinations 14 times. And as you say, it mentions isolation centers. These guys aren't planning to put it all behind them. They're just building up $6.9 billion more for expansion. Well, maybe that explains why they aren't showing up at the all candidates. Oh, you bet. You bet. (laughs) Wow. Well, thanks, Paul. I think, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add? Well, the vote's on June 2nd. You can vote in person. Make sure you do. Make sure in advance you get yourself on the on the voters list, especially if you're younger and you've never voted before. Make sure they don't exclude you, but don't let that turn you off. If you aren't on the list, you can still go down to the voting station and they will put you on the list as long as you're a Canadian citizen and at least 18 years of age and you live in the riding. Don't worry about not being on the list right now. Try and get on it for your own convenience. But if you're not, just go down there. They'll put you on. They will not deny you a ballot. And remember that... There's lots of window dressing out there. A lot of people trying to campaign on the flavor of the day, which is pandemics and COVID-19. But really, there's only one longstanding voice for freedom, your individual freedom in this province, and that's Freedom Party. And I'd ask that if you've got a Freedom Party candidate in your riding, you put aside your traditions of voting blue or voting red or voting orange and take a moment to care for yourself and vote for freedom. Vote for your own freedom by voting for your Freedom Party candidate. Great way to end the show, Paul. And, of course, freedom of choice is what Freedom Party is all about. Absolutely. And freedom of choice is what Just Right Media is all about, and we're hoping that you will exercise your choice to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Tonight we look at the two contenders, statesman and war hero Arnold J. Rimmer and toilet droid Crichton 2X4B523P. What's this? A mechanoid is running for election. But do the electorate know this droid has a history of mental illness? The only survivor on the Nova 5, he tended a crew of skeletons believing them to be alive. He now wants to look after you. Do you mind he can't tell the difference between the living and the dead? You're only as good as your running mate. 
Has anyone taken a close look at Crichton's number two, David Dutchy Boy Lister? What? A man who served a jail term in stasis for smuggling unquarantined animals aboard a JMC mining ship? Major questions remain unanswered. Look, I hope you're not falling for this. This commercial was approved by Arnold J. Rimmer. <laughs>